There's a Greek myth about a guy who stole fire from the gods. And as a punishment, he had to roll a rock up a mountain every day. And as he got almost to the crest of the hill, it rolled back down to the bottom again. To where the next day he had to get up and roll it up the mountain again. Now, did I just describe your work day? <laughs> Students, did I just describe what it's like to get ready for the test? We have a love-hate relationship with our work. How do we find more meaning in our work? How do we find meaningful work? In Genesis, the ground is cursed, and you see that there is a certain enmity that is put between us and one another, but there's also a certain enmity that's put between us and the thing we get up and do every day. There's a certain tension, love-hate relationship we have with our work. And yet, there's nothing more fulfilling than a job well done. If you're in high school and you've completed the exam period and you look back and you get your grades and you feel good about what's happened, there's nothing more. If, if, you, if you make it to the top of the mountain and, and, and you see... Uh, somebody else has driven up there, you feel a different kind of satisfaction than the person who, who drove. We have a love-hate relationship with our work. Beth and I and, and the kids support a, um, a, a child in Kenya named Musioka. We have for a very long time since the kids were very young. And in every uh, letter that we get from him, he mentions the work that he does with his family. There's a certain dignity that comes from work. And yet, sometimes work is so mundane, it's repeat cycle, it's Sisyphus. How do we find meaning in work? I think you'll be a little surprised that we're going to be reading uh, from a passage in uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, about spiritual gifts. As we ask ourselves the question, how do we find meaningful work. Now, by the way, every, every now and then I need to tell you this. Why did I just give that introduction? The reason is, is because if I'm sitting there and I'm going to listen to somebody for 20 minutes, then I want to know why I need to listen to this person. And what I try to do is give you a so what at the beginning. And I, I think of it that way. When I'm preparing, when I'm agonizing, right? Okay, ag agonizo, that's the word for work. Travail and struggle, mein Kampf, right? Okay, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm working very hard for you people, and I'm thinking, you know, what is the so what? I mean, who cares? In other words, I, I really think of it with a little bit of an attitude. So what? Well, if, if, if you have just uh, sent your last child to college and you're empty nesting, if you're retiring, if you're a student thinking about, what am I going to do with my life? If... If uh, you're in a stage where there's just change, or maybe there, there's some little change that has brought a new season, you have to reinvent yourself, then you might want to pay attention to 1 Corinthians 12 and what makes our daily work meaningful. From the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, 
however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each, to each, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's an important sentence. Let me read it again. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another by faith uh, the same Spirit. Uh, To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by, by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What makes it meaningful? What makes work meaningful? You must, here's the answer, you must look, look, look. You have to look for your life. You have to look. You have to look up. You have to look around. You have to look out. There it is. That's the whole sermon. Let's pray. You have to look up. What does that mean? That means you're looking to follow Jesus, right? What is the call? If we're going to understand calling, meaningful work, right? That's, that's a word for it, call, to be called vocation, vocal, vocal, to profession, to say something. These are words that we use, and they, they become meaningless because we've forgotten what it means to be called. When you understand what it means to be called, then you can find meaning in the mundane, but you have to look for it. Look, look, look. First, you have to look up. And that means you're looking to go farther up and higher in with Jesus. That means you're following Jesus and you understand who he is. But you have to look at him. And you have to look again and again. When this says, no one says Jesus is Lord but by the Spirit, what does that mean? This is so misinterpreted. This is the first confession of the church. The first confession of the church is not the Apostles' Creed. It's not the Nicene Creed. It's not the the Westminster Confession. The first confession of the church is Jesus is Lord. You know, the fish that you see on people's cars or on on different things, uh, jewelry or whatever, you know, that that fish uh, stands for an acronym. So in the Greek, ichthus, each letter of the, the word for fish stands for something. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. That was the second confession of the church. The first confession is just simply to say, Jesus is Lord. And so to be a confessing person, to be a professing person, to be a called person, to be someone who's called to follow Jesus is every day you're looking at him. You're looking at what he's like. You're looking to discover more about him. Quick illustration, uh, a guy named David Howard, kind of a, in his field, very famous etymologist, credits a professor 
for his success in his career. The professor's name is Agassiz. And Agassiz, his first, David, David Howard's first day under Professor Agassiz, he said, I, I want to be a scientist. He said, well, I want you to look at this fish. Have you heard this story? Have you heard, anybody heard this story about the, looking at the fish? And so he, he's looking at this plain fish, and uh, the, the professor leaves the, leaves the room, goes to lunch or something. I mean, he's gone for a long period of time, comes back, and, and he says, what did you see? And he starts describing the scales and the eyes and all. He says, look again. And he leaves for a long period of time. And this goes on for days. And he's getting very frustrated. Uh, Brooks, I mean, um, David um, uh, Howard is getting very frustrated. And then he starts to see things he didn't see before. Have you ever read a passage? I, I remember reading a passage of scripture about uh, Jesus, the woman at the well. And I'd read it many, many times. And I, I read this book by uh, Max Lucado. And he, and, he, and he talked about how the woman left her jar. I remember that was one of the times. I, was, I think I was in college at the time. And I, and I remember thinking, she left her water jar. And, he, and, and Max Lucado points out, she left her water jar. Did you notice that? And I hadn't noticed it. And it was like, here's a woman who's, who's at the well, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you, uh, you're never going to thirst again. The water I'm going to give you, you're never going to thirst again. There's just a little, not by accident, a little touch there, and I didn't notice it, and I'd read it again and again and again, and I didn't notice it. Professor Agassiz said this to David Howard. He said, facts are stupid things unless you connect them with the big picture, with some higher law. What is that higher law? Jesus is Lord. When that becomes the dominating story, organizing principle, the driving force of your life, Jesus is Lord. And every day you get up. And you look, and you look, and you look. Do you have a time and place when you, when you look? Do you have a reading schedule? You know, there, there's, a, there's a great little app I saw today. There are a couple of different football players on these two teams that are going to play. They use what I was going to recommend to you anyway, and I just found this out this morning. These two guys use version. Now, if you go to our, if you go to our, website, our, our uh, newsletter, you'll see a link to... Uh, a reading plan for you, you version, and it's a challenge. It's a 21-day challenge. Can you take 21 days and say, I'm going to do the same thing every day. I'm going to go through this you version. I'm going to go through this reading plan for 21 days and just see what happens. Maybe you pick Lent. Lent is coming up on February 14th. And maybe during the season of 40 days leading up to Easter, you pick a time and place where you... You, you read through the scriptures according to some, some reading plan. And you look, and you look, and you look. That's what it means to be a professing person, to say Jesus is Lord. It means to follow him, you learn more about him. And you discover things that, that you didn't see yesterday. And as a result, you and I become more like him. And he's the one worth becoming more like, the one worth following. You know, maybe some of you all think that uh, those guys um, that did Oceans 11, 12, and 13, that those, those are pretty cool guys. Some of you all think that. Maybe I think that too, all right? Maybe, maybe I look at those guys, you know, Brad Pitt and Clooney and Matt Damon, those guys are worth looking at, right? You think they're, they're lower. You should see their outtakes. 
You should see, I mean, you should see them when the camera isn't running. Who is worth looking at? Who's worth following? These guys today on the field? Yeah, it'll be entertaining. What are their lives like? What are their marriages like? What, what's it like to be with them? You say, well, you know, I, I like that idea of WWJD. What did Jesus, what would Jesus do? Well, what was Jesus like? What are you becoming like because of what you're looking at every day? What's it like to be around you? What will it be like to be around you if you look, look, look at the one worth following? That's what it means to be called. First and foremost, you're called to follow him. So you got to look up. You got to look around. Who are you spending your time with? I mean, really, I mean, who are you really, inv- who, who are you spending time around and with? If you're called to follow Jesus, you're not called to follow him by yourself. You're not. There are lots of fancy arguments on both sides of this whole thing, whether or not you should be a part of a church or can you be a part of a church and, and be a Christian. I mean, I'm not talking about, I'm not indicting people who aren't in church and saying that they can't be Christians. But what I am saying is this. The scriptures say that if you're called to follow him, you're called to follow him with other people. Not by yourself. Not by yourself. That we're a part of a whole. If you're called into, into Jesus, you're called to be a part of his body. That's what this, this whole passage is, is talking about here. Not just that Jesus is Lord, not just the first confession of the church. It's saying that you're called to be members of one another. And it's the same spirit that speaks into your life. Each one, each one of you has a gift. That if you're not expressing that gift, we're weaker because of it. We, we, we have one less ear, one less finger to work with. If you are not, if you're called to this time and place, you're walking around, you're breathing this air. In this time and place, you're called to be a part of a body. You're called to be a part of a body. That's the image that's used here. And one person's a finger, another person's an eye, another person's an ear. But we need each other. You know, I, I love the, um, I love, that, I know there's a football day, but I love, I love basketball. And basketball season, March Madness is coming, and I, 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 I love, I used to watch the old Princeton uh, 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 games because they had a certain kind of teamwork. And, you know, modern-day uh, basketball teams copy the Princeton offense. They're constantly moving the ball around. They're, they're, you, you don't know where it's going. Uh, UNC, I, I know I shouldn't have even said UNC. I just, it just, just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. But UNC had that thing called Four Corners, and they, they developed their own Princeton offense. And, uh, and then the mighty Duke Blue Devils, they, they, they have an incredible team. And even though they have, you know, you, you need to have talented individuals, you have to have a team. You have to have a team. Somebody gets the sniffles, and your season goes away otherwise. That's so too for us. You know, you know, people out there wonder, what, what is different because you're part of a church? What's different about you because you're following Jesus? Is there any difference? Where are they going to see the difference? Is it in your, in your behavior? No, you know where are they going to see the difference? They're going to see the difference in our association. It, it, when we talk about racial re- reconciliation, are we, really just, are we just talking? Are we doing it? When we talk about uh, this idea of of teamwork, uh, is it just nice words, or or are we living that way? When we talk about being part of each other's lives and bearing one another's burdens, are we actually doing it? Are we agonizing? 
Are we showing up for each other? Are we thinking about the ways that, that we are, we're more connected than we always feel? We don't always feel the connection. Well, maybe somebody needed you to be here, or maybe somebody needed you in your small group, or maybe somebody needed you to give them that phone call so much more than you even imagine. Somebody said 90% of life is just showing up, and I think that's true. I think it's true. You know, there's a movement afoot, uh, and, and, and somebody that I, I really vehemently disagree with, her name is Rachel Held Evans. Where's the camera? Rachel Held Evans. She is, she is beating up pastors and beating up the church right now. She's got a big following, hundreds of thousands of people. And you know what? What I want to say is, Rachel, get in the boat and grab an oar. Don't just curse the boat from the shore. If you want to, look, if you, this is the funniest line, and nobody gets it, and it took me a long time to get it myself, but if you find the, the, the perfect church, please don't join it. You get it? There isn't one of those, and if there was, and you joined it, then it wouldn't be, all right? Now you get it. Sorry, I just insulted you, and me. There isn't a perfect church, but there is a perfect call to a to a perfect Christ, and together, if, if we are grabbing an oar and we're making it better, if you, you want to make it better, I, I didn't like the church when I was growing up. I didn't like it at all. I thought it was stuffy. I, didn't, I, I, I thought it was irrelevant. And then I, I felt this great sense of conviction. Well, Tim, what are you doing about it? Besides running your mouth, what are you doing about it? Get in the boat and grab an oar. We're called to be members of one another. And you know what? If we, if we do the things better than the world is doing them, in terms of the kinds of reconciliation, teamwork, problem solving in our town, people will notice. And they'll be changed because of it. Look around. Look up. Look around. Finally, look out. Look out, outside of these walls. What's God already doing and how can we plug in? We don't have to make everything up from scratch. But what's, what, what, what Paul is saying to the, the Corinthian church, which was a very disorderly place, a place that was you know, sort of reverting back to old ways, idolatry, and they were all just sort of about it, it, themselves, is he says this, now to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's what your gifts are for, for the common good. I, remember, I, I think I've told the story about the, the, the woman at First President Orlando who had this beautiful voice, but she wouldn't sing because she, she, she thought it was sort of spiritual to hide her gift. I said, you need to get over yourself <laughs> and, and bless these people with your beautiful voice. It was given to you for a purpose. Your spiritual gifts, your heart, your ability, your personality, your experiences, all of those things are given to you for the common good. That means the body here and through it, the world. That means that, that, that you have special, unique talents that the world needs, that we need expressed through here. And so when you express those, then, then we get better. We get better, and we need to be a part 
of what God's already doing outside to make us better. We need to look around the world, see what God is already doing, and get involved. There's a, there's a guy named uh, Reinhold Niebuhr who wrote a book called Christ and Culture, and in it he talks about five different ways that, that the, the, the body of Christ interacts with and affects the general culture. And I'm just going to tell you about, you know, just give you a picture of three. One is Christ against culture. It's the idea that we're just supposed to be a holy huddle, way up on a hill, sort of uh, distant and pure, away from the corrupting influence of the world. The other one is uh, Christ of culture, and that is whatever is going on in culture, we need to run around to the front of it and say, hey, let's go this way. And then there's Christ, the transformer of culture. You see, what we stand for, the gospel, is the idea that, that God actually entered all the way into our human life and that the life that he lived and the way he lived it and the picture that we have of him is really, really good for us. And so that's what this table represents. It represents the physical presence of God. Now, when I say represents, I mean, I don't mean that it's just a symbol on the one hand, and I don't mean that it's actual on the other hand, but God is spiritually present through this. Why is it so important that you express your gift? Because then your life becomes sacramental. This is a sacrament, a sacred meal, a sacred table, a sacred experience we have together. And what we're called to do and to be in the world as we look up and look around and look out is to live lives that are sacramental, that increasingly, because of the habits that we have, whether we clearly can see that this is a faith-based habit or whether you're making widgets you know, across town, that what you're bringing, the life that you're bringing to what you do brings a spiritual presence of the risen Lord, that there is a sacredness to your work. And until you're looking up daily at him and until you're locking arms regularly with people that are going in the same direction until you're looking around and out there and wanting having a holy sense of dissatisfaction with the status quo out there and looking for how God is on the move and how we can be a part of it you are not going to be satisfied with your life but if you look up and around and out it doesn't matter whether you're changing a diaper or whether you're healing a heart. Your life can be sacred. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you for this simple meal. And we thank you for its beautiful picture and evident presence that we can eat, that we can drink. According to your will and your way, we pray that you would enter into this time. Make it sacred. Make these, these elements sacred from their common everyday purpose to their purpose set apart. That as we receive this bread and drink of this cup, we may proclaim the Lord's death and experience a magnificent exchange of our sin for your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus did walk among us, and he, was, he lived the kind of life that even experienced betrayal. And the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks for it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. 
And whenever you do, remember me. In like manner, he took the cup and pouring it out, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my shed blood. Take and drink. And whenever you do, remember me, Jesus said. For as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So today, you'll come by way of the center aisle. Whether you're on this, these wings, you'll move to the back and come by way of the center aisle. The uh, elders, are, are as they come forward, you'll see they'll be in front of one of the screens, two stations. You'll take one of these wafers or receive one, dip it into the cup, and receive it into your mouth, and then make your way back to your seats. Come to the table, the sacred table of the Lord. Amen.